Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcast and fix. Now, on today's episode, I'm being joined by Brooks Wallace, who is the VP Amir at Deep Instinct. Brooks is here to impart his wisdom on the misunderstanding surrounding deep learning and why it will become a more popular solution in the cybersecurity industry. So, Brooks, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on today. Max, thanks for having me. Great to be here this morning and looking forward to our conversation. Me too. It's um, an area that's very much interests me when we talk about the kind of deep learning element. So I think there's a lot for us to unpack. But before we get there, let's just give the listeners a bit of background. Would you mind just telling them a little bit about yourself and Deep Instinct? Sure, yeah, of course. So I joined Deep Instinct back in May of 2020 at the start of what is the pandemic today, and um, really to evangelize deep learning across EMEA as a, the, as I guess you could say, the uh, the foundation of a new security, preventing cybersecurity attacks before they take place, which uh, is a neat concept if you think about it. And I guess that's what we're talking about today. Deep Instinct is a cybersecurity solutions company. It's been around since 2015. Our whole theme is about prevention of malware and ransomware attacks. Perfect stuff. Okay, so let's go into the deep learning conversation then. So I think a couple of things to kind of set on the outset here is the cybersecurity's almost fear, in a way, of what deep learning can be and how useful it can be to, to implement in their organization. So can you just start by explaining some of those significant misconceptions, the myths, the misunderstandings around deep learning, and really how it differs from our other subsets of AI, such as your ML and, and so on and so forth? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think for many, artificial intelligence or AI has become a really a broad brush term that's used in marketing literature and doesn't carry a lot of weight. You know, it's a great buzzword, and everybody's jumped on that buzzword uh, campaign, I guess you could say. Within AI itself, you have a couple of different subsets. One is machine learning, then you have neural networks underneath that, and then deep learning at the bottom. So deep learning is actually a subset of machine learning. And the difficulty is that I don't think a lot of people understand the differences between them, hence that evangelism that we've been doing as a deep learning-based organization. Machine learning uses a set of algorithms to analyze and interpret data. It learns from that data, I guess. It makes decisions based on what it has learned, right? So it's using an engineered set of data that someone has given it that says, this is good, this is bad, learn the differences. We'll come back and make sure you understand it, and then we'll pat you on the back and send you off into the wild. So it'll only ever be as good as the data it's provided, whereas the neurological networks side of things are using algorithms that mimic the human brain. And that's really where deep learning comes in. So deep learning sits at the bottom of artificial intelligence and it uses multiple layers, hence the word deep, uh, multiple layers of algorithms to learn from a vast amount of raw data, not engineered data. And it learns in a way that allows it to make decisions autonomously, similar to that of a human brain. Um, and that is really the basis of deep learning. It's creating these neurological networks that can think and learn on their own, whereas machine learning is about computers being able to think and act with less human intervention. Deep learning is about computers learning to think autonomously. And that's pretty powerful because it means that deep learning can analyze images and videos 
and unstructured data in ways that machine learning can't easily do. Some examples of this are deep learning being used today in autonomous driving. If you think about autonomous driving cars or in um, video selection with you know Prime or Netflix or even on Google with neurological language processing. So it's, it's not something that's new to the industry in terms of deep learning itself, but certainly it is new to cybersecurity. Yes, very true. Um, perfect explanation, by the way. I think that was uh, expertly done. So obviously you're mentioning in, in different areas there is seeing that value and that uptick of, of companies bringing it in. Do you have kind of a rough idea or, or would you care to hazard a guess of the current adoption rate in cybersecurity? Well, like I said, it's relatively new. The, the, you know, the barrier to entry is pretty high. Um, so we've been doing this since 2015 and it takes a lot of research. Um, it takes a lot of um, skilled talent to build this and then just putting it all together and getting the, the you know the brains configured etc that we call them in terms of being able to run it so that barrier to entry is rather high from an adoption in the enterprise space as the enterprise is finding out what is available compared to what is in place today and legacy solutions the adoption rate is going up i think the addressable market sits firmly within kind of that endpoint detection and remediation space, the endpoint protection uh, space itself today. So the addressable market is massive, but adoption is is creeping up in the right direction. Um, as the word gets out, the deep learning is power, you know, powering prevention as a new layer of security. Excellent. That's what we want to be hearing. So leads me on to my next question in terms of in what ways will advancements in the processing capabilities influence that deep learning adoption in business and and what impact do you reckon it will have on the enterprise? Yeah, I think an easy way to, to look at this is probably to look back at the evolution of AV from where we were 25 years ago, right? It came out, it was um, something that was exciting. People were talking about this antivirus that you had to have on your device and it was great, right? It was what you had. It's all that you had. And then the next-gen stuff started to come out. You had next-gen AV, and then endpoint protection came out, then endpoint detection and remediation response, and then next-gen variants of all of that, right? And it's, you know, all this stuff is was great at its time, uh, and, it, and it had a great run, at, you know, 10, 15, 25 years on AV alone, right? But it's using older legacy technologies, running on CPUs, signature-based stuff, and it doesn't have to be that way going forward. You know, you mentioned the processing capabilities alone, just using NVIDIA's graphics processing units or GPUs uh, that have become available in the marketplace makes the cost of, I guess, really, you know, running deep learning, while not cheap to put together, it makes it affordable for the enterprise that wasn't there before. And so unlocking that computing power to build new technologies based on deep learning models um, I think you'll see much more adoption in the enterprise. It's disruptive, you know, and um, but if you look at what next gen stuff usually is, is disruptive. And I think the enterprise is probably sitting there thinking, well, I've just spent all this money on this rather expensive security stack because I had to have everything. And now you're coming and telling me I have to have something else. And the way that we look at that is, well, you have to have prevention. Prevention is available. It complements what you have in place today. It doesn't necessarily have to replace that. And we can dwell on that a bit more later on, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I, I think when you look at that kind of roadblock of of the cost adoption, it is weighing up that that balance, isn't it, of how effective can this be and also saving time of people trying to defend the organizations 
really is paramount for organizations to kind of come in. And I find it interesting when you there were obviously talking about um, the, the legacy structure of how this kind of works. So another element is obviously the use of that adversarial AI by threat actors it means that those legacy technologies, those older subsets of AI are not able to provide that effective protection to organizations, hence the upgrade we're kind of talking about here. So Deep learning, on the other hand, can do that, as you just explained, but but why is this and, and how do we get people kind of across that line? Yeah, this is something I kind of get excited about, right? It's not something that's rife in mainstream today, but adversarial attacks are, you know, they're scary. And what an adversarial attack is, it's actually the threat actor, so the hacker, the malicious individual, is figuring out a way to break the artificial intelligence or the machine learning capability of a solution to either um, subvert it, right, go around it, or to make it stop working so that it has access to that organization that is using that solution. And they do this in a number of different ways. And one of those ways is by data poisoning. So if you consider what I said earlier around machine learning, having to learn from an, an engineered set of data, right? Um, so the guy comes in and says, this is good data, but unbeknownst to the engineer supplying the data to the machine to learn from, a threat actor has actually planted something malicious into the data that is being prevented. So now the machine is thinking that it's learning something that is benign and good, and this is the correct way of reading this result, when in fact it's reading a negative or um, you know something that is malicious, and it's being inserted into what would other be otherwise be a green light, right? It's okay. I'm going to let this pass. I was taught that this is good. And that is really dangerous because when you're talking about, you know, small, uh, well-organized organizations that are out there as threat actors or perhaps even nation-state attacks, these are well-funded organizations. And adversarial AI, while not talked about a lot today, and data poisoning, I think, is something to be afraid of if you're using a machine-based model that it relies, you know, solely on engineered data. Whereas deep learning, with that ability to autonomously make decisions, it also is taught in a way that from all that raw data, that you're able to plug in better adversarial or anti-adversarial learning techniques so that it can learn when, it, when data has been manipulated. Um, therefore, preventing adversarial attacks or adversarial AI attacks against that, that deep learning model. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty cool, right? So now you've got kind of this AI on AI war happening in the background that people aren't really talking about, but that's the reality, right? Machines pushing out malware, machines trying to subvert AI and intelligence within machine learning to fake it and try to get into organizations by tricking the machines themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and I've had a fair few conversations of the future of cybersecurity and. A lot of those conversations is that machine on machine taking out a lot of the human element that kind of comes into this. And when when this piece comes out, for example, we're going to be releasing a top ten on the the top ten cybersecurity incidents that happened in 2021. When you look at that list, it's it's a broad spectrum that of different attacks and different attack types that went from small organizations to, to businesses to full-on government attacks. So as these kind of threats evolve and the people behind them evolve and the technology evolves behind them, how are we seeing this deep learning kind of keep up with that and keep up with the learning process without, because um, obviously it takes mass amounts of storage and there's, 
there's cost elements as well. How do you kind of see that playing out? Yeah, uh, well, deep learning is intuitive, right? It's learning on its own, um, which kind of future proofs it because it doesn't rely on signatures. It doesn't rely on connectivity. Uh, the way that it works within a cybersecurity framework is that it's taught as a brain and that brain itself then sits on a device as an agent or a client. And it is from that day forward um, built. It's, it's complete. And it knows what to look for and what to predict and prevent on that device from getting onto that device and preventing it executing, right. Or encrypting that device if it's in the case of ransomware. And, um, what we're seeing is that the the power of that is able to actually prevent new and unknown attacks, even using older models that are as old as 18 months old, preventing stuff that has never seen been seen before in the wild. And that shows you the power of, of deep learning. So the framework that is built on, if you recall, a depth that refers to deep in, in the learning piece is layers of algorithms that are difficult to, to manipulate, I guess, from a, um, a threat perspective and allows the deep learning engine to be more powerful than clearly what is in place today from a detect and remediate perspective when it's applied to cybersecurity. Excellent. Yeah, no, that's fascinating to hear that kind of evolvement and how it kind of progresses for, forward. Because an element that obviously gets talked about a lot when we bring up these conversations is that act, don't react element of cybersecurity. And a big part that plays in that is kind of endpoint exposure. And I want to just kind of get your thoughts on this based on, um, so to give the listeners some concept, uh, some context, sorry, there was Deep Instinct's second edition 2021 Voice of SecOps report, which is a great report that goes into a lot of detail, especially around what we're covering today. So endpoint exposure it remains a cause for concern for UK CISOs and SecOps professionals. And the numbers here of over a third of endpoints deployed in UK currently have no security agent installed. And 70% of businesses report that they cannot ensure every endpoint has the same level of protection, which is, as we can all agree, quite a high number. So do you think that endpoint exposure will result in more organizations looking for solutions that can prevent cyber attacks rather than that mitigates mentality? Yeah, you know, it's, I guess it's what they know that is available in the market. You know, prevention using deep learning is a relatively new concept, I think. Um, so a lot of our time is spent educating the market on the power of deep learning when applied to cybersecurity and what they can get for it. Uh, but you have to, you know, you're wrestling with the investment that the organization has already made and is that good enough? And the reality is it's probably not because in that reactive scenario, you're talking about something that actually has to write to memory or disk for it to be detected, even if it's detected in you know 20 seconds later or a minute later, it still has to be on that device. And if you have the opportunity to prevent it ever getting on that device, you know, you're opening up a whole new way of looking at security, not only for your organization, but for the employees of that organization that are involved in the security operations team. And that can be very meaningful. Um, to those individuals because now they can spend their time on more meaningful things in the office rather than just reviewing alerts that are popping up all the time, but also, you know, adds perhaps kind of money back to your bottom line because of everything that you're preventing. And I'm happy to talk about case studies later on. But, you know, endpoint detection and response technologies, I think, bear in mind, are a very important part of any organizational security stack. So when we talk about 
adding in prevention, we're really talking about an extra layer of defense um, with that prevention technology sitting in front and enhancing the existing security stack. It gives an organization a multi-layered approach to securing the endpoint. We talk about that a lot as an organization. And, you know, for some organizations relying on machine learning-based technologies or legacy AV solutions to protect their endpoint, maybe replacing those completely with a more modern prevention-based solution based on deep learning is a better solution. But um, you know, I think getting that balance right of risk, appetite, based on your organization and your uh, exposure through your endpoints, you know, that's something that has to be weighed up. And in this work-from-home world that we've all evolved into, that endpoint is suddenly you know, the, the keys of the kingdom, and it's all over the place. And it's sitting on home networks with kids and visitors and other people doing who knows what within you know a home environment. And you just don't know what your exposure is. And so I think for peace of mind, the more that you can put into that security stack upfront on the endpoint, you know, the better, right? And if prevention is not part of that today, then it probably should be in your conversations in 2022 and beyond. Definitely. As you said, striking that balance and the work from home endpoint security, that's a whole nother podcast, I reckon. <laughs> we can do that one another time for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, obviously, to kind of unpack with all of this. And, you know, listeners who, who are kind of tuned in right now, us just saying, yeah, deep learning will be great for security. They might be going, okay, yeah, sure. So can you actually give us a case study example of how Deep Instinct is using its purpose-built deep learning cybersecurity framework to really better threat prevention? Yeah, sure. No, I'd be happy to. Not wanting to to pick out a, an actual client case study, um, we had Forrester, uh, the analyst company, do some research for us back in November of 2020. And they released a really neat report after interviewing a, a handful of our customers, kind of creating this, this dummy customer, I guess you could say, in effect. And, um, and the research was great. Um, it was an interview of a combination of companies that were using EDR solutions or endpoint detection response solutions and endpoint protection platforms and that legacy AV stuff that I talked about earlier on. And so they interviewed these companies um, they took their profiles and they combined them to make this this one organization. And the output was that the organizations acknowledged um, pre-deep instinct that their incumbent solutions were somewhat effective in detecting and responding to these known and zero-day threats, but that the security operations teams that they had there were inundated with time-consuming and manual processes, including you know reviewing alerts, uh, many of which were false positives, and doing things that were required to really maintain those complex EDR solutions and EPP platforms that they had purchased. And in reviewing what they had in place, they realized that similar to our results for, from this last survey here in the UK was that they're, you know, they were pretty well exposed. They were pretty vulnerable more than ever at their endpoint, despite this tech, these technologies they had in place. And they wanted to find a solution that could provide I guess better threat prevention and analysis capabilities, right? And kind of cut back on some of these manual tasks and processes that their, their teams were doing. And so the investment in Deep Instinct allowed them to do that. So they made the investment and the customers immediately saw a return on their investment in terms of performance, right? The efficacy of the endpoint protection increased, the efficiency of the threat investigation improved, and the false positive rates that they were experiencing in mass dropped dramatically. And that early prevention through deep learning, that predictive algorithm, shifted work away from their security operations employees and allowed them to reallocate their time you know, more effectively within their organization for higher value tasks and projects that they might have been working on. And the result 
was clear in the number of in, in the amount of savings. And so the report, it's a lengthy report, and you can find it. Um, but the, the, the I guess the the result that everybody wants to hear is well, what was the ROI? And that was actually a return on investment of in terms of their own investment in the technology of three point five million dollars over three years. And it was done by reducing the cost of managing the endpoint protection itself, investigating endpoint threats, remediating endpoint attacks, and the avoided financial loss due to user downtime through ransomware or malware or other attacks that would shut systems down. And it's it's that simple, right? If you're preventing these attacks getting in to begin with, you will see an immediate return on your investment. And it's how you weigh that up as an organization. But those are that's a good example of of this this uh, this company that was you know amalgamated out of an interview of seven different organizations that are actively using deep instinct and deep learning uh, in terms of what that return on investment could look like. Excellent stuff. Those are the stories we like to hear. And um, on, on the actual Deep Instinct website, which I'll give everyone a link to at the moment, there is an option in the resources section to do an ROI calculation, which I think is really interesting. So people can kind of get an idea before they kind of request that demo and get involved. So definitely worth kind of checking out. But Brooks, all I can say is thank you very much for coming on today. It's a topic area I find really fascinating, and there's a lot of growth to it and a lot of different sectors to explore with it. So thanks for coming on and uh, explaining this to us. Thank you. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much, and thank you everyone who took the time to listen to this. We do hope you took a lot away. As I mentioned, you can head on over to deepinstinct.com. There's some fantastic resources on there, some of the studies we spoke about, the ROI calculator, and you can also request a demo as well. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, you can join the conversation at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe to this podcast series, and of course, for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech dot com.